Uh, I also want to tell you this, just because, you know, we're friends, uh, and I wasn't here last weekend. So, uh, so a week ago, my wife, uh, we, you know, we've been doing the ultrasound thing, you know, we've got pregnant after three years of infertility, and so we're stoked and uh, just so excited about God blessing us with this child, and so I think we're like 18 weeks or something like that. So it's right about the time where you can find out the gender. So uh, there's, according to Pinterest, I guess, uh, there's like this thing like gender reveal parties, right? (laughs) Thank you very little Facebook and Pinterest for gender reveal parties. So I I was learning about this like in the ultrasound tech office. And my wife was telling me, oh, we're going to have a gender reveal party. Okay, that's great. We'll have the party. Now, what's the sex of the kid? And she's like, no, 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 no. We don't find this out. I'm like, what? So a group of people find out the gender of my child the same moment I do? What, What is this? And so I was going to go along with it because Hillary was like, this is the way we want to do it. And, and so, but she surprised me and did this little covert operation. And she went and had a secret ultrasound uh, while I was gone one day. And she didn't know, didn't know the result. She had her put it in the little envelope, seal it up, and then she took it to a bakery, right? And she goes into this bakery, this cupcake store. And she says, I don't know what this says on it. It's either a boy or a girl. If it's a boy, put in two blue cupcakes into this box. If it's a girl, put in two pink cupcakes into this box. And then she brought the box with her, and she invited me out to dinner. And I'm like, this is great. All right. And then she brings with her this gift bag. And I'm like, I get a present, too? This is is awesome. So we eat our meal. And then at the end of the meal, the server comes and puts down, like, two more plates. I'm thinking, are we having dessert? Okay, and then the server comes and brings a glass of milk, and I know we're having dessert because that's how I roll, and <laughs> Hillary had worked this out in advance, and then she gets the, the bag out, and she puts it here, and she gets the box out, and she hands me a card, and in the card it explains what she had done, and I just lost it in this restaurant, and, it said, and she says, so here's the box, and we're going to open it up together, and the cupcakes are going to be pink, or they're going to be blue. And so we opened it up, and sure enough, two blue cupcakes. So we're having a boy. Thank you. We were so excited, and everyone in the restaurant was excited for us and made the server's night, and we were were all, like, weepy and trying to eat cupcakes. And uh, it it was awesome and is awesome, and we're blessed and excited. Uh, we're talking today about uncontrollable. So you'll see in your outlines, if you can pull out your outlines, the, the, the reason why we're talking about this is because we have a disease, friends. We have this disease, especially in our country, and especially in our county in our country. But as Americans, as humans, we think that we can control our lives. We think that we can even maybe control our family and in some people in our relationships. We try to control our circumstances. And, and at times, if we're honest, if we think about it, we even think that we can control God. So we're going to look at a story to shed some light on our predicament as human beings. But first, I want to paint you this picture. So imagine this. You have, we have a couple of scenes leading up to the big scene. Okay, We're going to talk about a battle scene. But first... We have Eli, who is a priest to the Israelites. And Eli is this respected older man. He's the priest. He's the religious leader in his time. Eli has two sons. His sons are running amok. His sons are rebellious. His sons are leveraging Eli's position of religious authority for their own gain. So to the extent that they are in the the temple and they are bringing in women and having sex with them in the temple of God. They are stealing food. 
They are going up to people who are giving sacrifice, and they're saying, hey, give me some of that. That's, that's supposed to be mine as a religious leader in this thing. So they are rebellious against God. They are not honoring God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. So they lived however they wanted and then attached this religious connection to God on top of that to benefit themselves in their position. So they, they used God, in a sense, to further themselves and to have more opportunity and pleasure and more respect from people, and they just manipulated that for their own gain and benefit, and God was not thrilled about them. At the same time, at the same time, there's a woman who's been trying to get pregnant for years, and she can't. Finally, she comes, and she's praying in the, in the temple, and Eli, the father, the priest, sees her and and gives her a blessing and says, I, I, I pray that God will give you a child. The woman goes and it says, it says some period, some time later, she became pregnant. So it wasn't immediately, but some time later she did become pregnant. And she had this son and his name was Samuel. And she dedicated Samuel to the work of God and brought him back after he had grown up a little bit and was able to be on his own. She brought him back to the temple and said, I dedicate him back to the work of God. Eli, you take care of my child Samuel. Let him work for you. Let him be your apprentice. Let him work in this house of God. God gave him to me. I freely give him back to you. That is what God wants me to do. So then you have, you have this Samuel who is now his life, his very life and being are dedicated to the work of the Lord. He's living there in the temple night and day, breathing and eating this experience, dedicating himself to the Lord. So you see we have these two things happening. We've got these boys that are exploiting their opportunity over here, and we've got Samuel, who's just, who's just available and listening. The famous story of Samuel as a, as a child is when he's sleeping in this place, and he hears, he hears a voice say, Samuel, Samuel. And he wakes up, and he's like, oh, well, that must be my mentor. And so he goes into Eli, and he says, yeah, you called for me? And Eli's like, I didn't call for you. And so he goes back, and he lays his head down again. He hears, Samuel, Samuel. Again, he goes. Eli says, no, 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 no. A third time, he hears it, and Eli says, hey, this, this might be God, because I'm not saying anything, and there's nobody else around here. So if you hear it again, just say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. So Samuel said, hears it again, Samuel, Samuel. And he says, speak, Lord. <laughs> I'm here listening to you, and God speaks to him. So we have a child dedicating his life to service with God, listening. And then we have over here these other two children exploiting their leadership for their own benefit. That is the season. That is, that is happening. And now at the same time, we have the Israelites who are going to battle. Okay? Put that aside for a second. Now imagine in your head this battle scene. We have Israelites on one side of the vow. We have Philistines on the other side of the valley. They are about to wage war. I mean, these are not weak men. These are strong men. Imagine in your head Gladiator, Braveheart, the worst of the worst. I mean, think, think of what you can. You've got men with, with dirt-stained brows, with rippling muscles. They may be in skirts, but they are not weak. They, they are strong they have probably cuts and scars and stuff that they don't even know how to mend. They didn't even feel them when they got them. They don't even care. They, they sleep on rocks for pillows, right? These are the guys, and thousands of them, thousands of them, tens of thousands on either side, okay? 
We go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. We have them set apart on, the, on both of these sides. This is the battle of the ages. This, is, this, is, this, this moment is thick with tension. These, these guys have been at odds, right? Now, some of you, if you're, you're picturing this movie scene, it's like it's, it's, it's about to get gory, right? And, and, and you're, a lot of you are okay with that. For the women, you imagine them, you're in the movie theater, you're, you're, like, you're like, I thought this was a love story. You turn to your husband, have you been there? I thought this was a love story. And the husband's like, it is a love story. I love this story, right? <laughs> you, this, this is about to get good right now, right? So spears, swords, are you picturing it in your mind? It's crazy. We've got the good guys over here, the Israelites, and the bad guys over here, the Philistines. Verse 2, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. So the dust clears, and you see it's the good guys who have lost. Hold up, wait a minute. I thought that, I thought that God was on the side of the Israelites. I thought that he was like their people and stuff. And you look, and it's, it's, not, it's not just like, oh, man, it's too bad. It's like 4,000 bloody dead bodies, Literally. I mean, this, this, this is real stuff. In the middle of the battlefield. And you're thinking to yourself, why? What, what, why would God, why would you allow this? Right? And I know, I mean, I've been in seasons of defeat where it was like good guys against bad guys. Why, why, wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you bless us? Why would you allow this pain? Why would you allow this loss? And the Israelites are thinking a similar thing. They're, they're, they're putting their heads together thinking, what, what could we have done differently? How could we have avoided this? It says in verse 3, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today against the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the, Lord, ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go and save us from the hand of our enemies. So we've got this elder brainstorm session and they're thinking okay why how could this have happened okay i've got some ideas i've got i've got a you know a, a new formation i think we could use i have got i've got a new strategy maybe, maybe our, our timing was a little bit off or let's get those special spears you know the like the the the, the super graphite you know spears and let's bring those out and those will really th those will help us and then someone says no 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 no, no. Th that's just silly tactics what, what are, we're missing something bigger here oh yeah it's the presence of God. <laughs> Go get the box. Go get the ark where God's presence is supposed to be. So we have these elders, and they're thinking, yeah, 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 that's it, that's it. We forgot. We need the ark that, that represents God's presence. Go, go back and get that thing. So they send men, and they go and get the ark. And you imagine, you imagine this, this scene. So you've got people that are now defeated, broken, in trouble, doubting that they can stand up to this army of the Philistines. And now, from a ways off, you start to hear trumpets. Dun, dun, dun. You start to hear the noise. The, the soldiers that are closest to the action where this, this thing, this scene is coming down the road are starting to cheer. And you're wondering, what? What, what could this be? And you've got guys that are over here that are like, have lost limbs and are like barely hanging on. They start to get up. Right? They start to come out of their tents, and they wonder what it is. Bloodied and battered, they, they, they see people, men, with two poles bringing this, this ark into town. 
into their campsite, and they think, okay, okay, the God box, it's coming. This, this could work. And you, the generals and the leaders start to pound their spears, right? And you can imagine, okay, we've got this now. We've, we've got this now. And now there's, there's an uproar, right? The, the, the ark comes in front of all the people, and they're like, now we believe. And, and, they're, and they're cheering, and they're shouting, and they're, we can, we can do this. We can do this now. It says in verse 5 or 6 here, it says, So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Almighty, who was thrown between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with, well, let's just call them Hoppy and Finney, okay? It's Hoppy and Finney, the two sons. The rebellious ones are now with the Ark of the Covenant. So not only do we have the God box, we have the number two and number three religious leaders in the land. Okay, so we've we've upped the stakes. We've got we've got the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence is supposed to be, and we've got the two next, not Eli, but his boys, the religious ones. They they're bringing the Ark themselves. So the people the people are in an uproar. It says in verse 5, when the ark of the, Lord's, of the Lord's covenant came into camp, all Israel raised such a shout that the ground literally shook. And now the Philistines, they're not too far away, so they see this action. Look what it says. It says, verse 6, hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh, no. Nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. The same army that just slaughtered 4,000 of the Israelites, right? Oh, no, we're doomed. Nothing has happened like this before. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are like the gods who struck the, they are the, gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. So the Philistines had heard of this god. Now, there's people, I mean, you might not believe about the ten plagues that happened in Egypt, but the Philistines believed it, right? The Philistines knew, the Philistines believed, the Philistines feared this God. They were nervous. Now, the Israelites had actually forgotten. They had a tendency to forget that God's faithfulness. They forgot that God had been good. They forgot all that God had done with them in their past, and bringing the ark was an afterthought. After they got slaughtered, they thought to bring God's presence, right? After everything went badly, and they're on the verge of being wiped out, then it's like, ah, that God thing. <laughs> Where's God's presence? Go get the box. And it comes in, and then they think, oh, yeah, now we can do this. And the Philistines are nervous because they believe this God. They believe in what he is capable of and what he has done. It is real to them. And so they are legitimately panicked. And then... I imagine on a horse with paint blue on this side, white on this side, comes this Philistine William Wallace, right? And he rallies the troops. And he says in verse 9, Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. In other words, we can do this. They're still the same Israelite people. We just, we just crushed them yesterday. This God thing is an afterthought. I'm not even sure they believe it. We, we've got this, right? So you see this, this mounting 
thing. We, we've got the battle one day where 4,000 were wiped out and the Israelites on their heels and wondering what happened. And now they bring in the God box and here we go. Philistines, Israelites, the second showdown. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hoppy and Feeney, died. The religious guys died. The ones who had been rebelling against God for quite some time died. The God box got taken. On the first day of battle, the Israelites lost 4,000. The next time they showed up for battle, 30,000. What? God, what? But we, we, we got the thing. Like, we did the box thing. We, we prayed. We got the religious leaders. We did, we, we did what we were supposed to do. I grew, up, I grew up in a way and in a kind of religious culture where I was taught, maybe advertently or inadvertently, but I understood it, that if I did certain things in my Christian life, that I would have God's blessing, that God would be on my side, that God would do what I wanted him to do that I would be good and blessed and that if I, if I showed up and went to church and in Sunday school, if I got a lot of gold stars and if I even like threw some money in the plate, then God would certainly bless me and the things that I wanted to do. And that's not the case. Those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what God is saying in this story, the point is, that God would rather be with the ones who fear him than with the ones who use him. And we, we live in a culture, don't we, where, where people are still trying to leverage the, the religious play of God. I mean, I, I've seen on TV not long ago a guy hawking this special kind of water that if you bought it from him, you just, you just put it on you and, you sh- and you'll be healed making money on stuff like that. We, we, we still, there's still people out there who are leveraging their positions and their religious things and tacking God onto it just for more power and more pleasure. And God's saying, I, don't, I have no interest in that. I have no interest in people who want to use me. I will be with those who fear me. There, there are places and cultures where we think, if we can do whatever we want to do, live however we want to live, and then just show up and go to confession and we're good, right? And God's saying, I'm not a, I'm not a tack-on afterthought thing here. I'm the God of the universe. I will endure even shame of my own name and allow my people to lose the battle and be carried off with them. I will allow that to teach you that I will not be used and manipulated. I will not, I will not go down that, that road with you. Do you remember um, learning about Martin Luther and the Reformation? A lot of the Reformation and Martin Luther's passion was built on the fact that the church at that time, they were, they were selling these things called indulgences. They were selling to profit the church the promise 
that if you bought this and paid for this and went up here and prayed and dedicated, that then your dead loved ones would leave purgatory and enter heaven. What? What? People leveraging and using God for personal gain. God says, I will have no part in that. In your outline, it's, it's the religiousness instead of the relationship. When we put God in a box, we do things like this. We refer to him as it. Go get it. Bring it here. As they did instead of he. That's just, that, that's, that's a very clear indication. We're referring to the box in an it form. We're, 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 we're depending on ritual instead of relationship. When we put God in this box. Object over intimacy, favor. We're begging for favor without surrender. We're saying, God, you know, I, I, I'm in a, I'm in a squeeze here. I, could, could you come on, come on, God, come on, come on, go, go, go get that person who's been mean to me, right? Go, go fix this business situation that's gone, that's gone bad. Come on, God, can you go do that? Okay, now, now back, now back in the, in the box. And it's, I mean, that can be offensive to talk about God that way, but it's real. It's, it's, it's. In some small area of our life, I wonder if there's a place where I've, I want to do my thing and then I want God to come along and just and fix it when it gets messed up. There's a story of uh, Joshua before he fights the battle, battle of Jericho and he encounters an angel of the Lord and he doesn't recognize this angel of the Lord and so he's, he's all armored up and ready to go himself because he's got a different battle he's about to fight and he sees this angel. He doesn't, he doesn't know who it is. And he says, whose side are you on? Their side, the enemy's side, or our side? Not realizing that it's God himself. God looks back at him and he says, neither. I'm on my side. The question is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Our life, friends, is not about figuring out what kind of concoction that we can do to get God on our side when we need him. Our life is about surrendering and figuring out how do we get on his side? How do we join him in what he is doing? How do we honor him? How do we go with him? How do we follow his lead? When we're young, how do we listen to his voice? Not how do we leverage our position to, to, to have more pleasure, have more whatever. How do we listen and surrender to this God? 20 years went by where the Israelites did not get it. They still did not realize what they had done. 20 years after this battle, before they repented and figured it out. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, it says, Then all of the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Finally, finally they turned back. Finally they got it. So Samuel now, who is an influence, so Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the, fall of, of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. The Baals and the Ashtoreths, that's, those are idols of pleasure and profit, essentially. So they had literally, they had literally turned from worshiping God and been worshiping these smaller idols. They wanted, they wanted stuff and they wanted pleasure and those things so bad that they pursued those things. And as we saw, God was an afterthought. Come along and help us when we get in trouble, God. 
And so Samuel is saying, hey, if if you're ready to turn, turn, eliminate those silly things. And God will forgive you. God will be right here. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's, it's the redemption. The moment they turned, the moment they said, Oh, man, we have been... We have been blowing this thing. We had this all wrong. I'm so sorry. The moment they put aside their other idols, he, he comes to their rescue. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. It just took them 20 years to figure it out. The moment that we say, God, I'm sorry. I, in this area, I have been, I have been about me. I'm, I, I have been pulling you in on this thing, and it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I put that away. God, have mercy. I don't want these idols anymore. He swoops in with his forgiveness and grace. He says in Proverbs 8:17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me will find me. God is telling a bigger story. He's telling a bigger story than the momentary pain and the hardship. I know that there's people that some of you are going through difficult, difficult stuff. And it's not, listen. It's not because you're trying to manipulate God. Your heart is good. Your heart is good. It's just a difficult season. It's a painful season. And it's a time. And I'm sorry. And God allows us to go through these seasons sometimes. But there is redemption coming. He will work all things together for the good of those who trust him. And some of us are feeling a little bit convicted because we know that in some area of our life, we want to do what we want to do. And bringing God into it is an afterthought. And it's okay. He just says, surrender that to me. Would you surrender that to me? Would you let that go? Would you trust me? Would you have faith that I will work this out, that I'm telling a bigger story? That it's not about trying to get God on our side and finagle some outcome that we want. That's not the, the outcome is God himself. And he says, I want you on my side. Let's do this. We're in a season, friends, where we have, where God is speaking to us collectively. He's doing this thing in our midst, in our church. He's inviting us into another, to a new space. He's inviting us into to following him and and trusting him in new ways collectively as we go to two services seriously. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a faith journey for all of us and personally for you in jobs, families, all kinds of different scenarios. And he's inviting us to trust him, to trust that the bigger story, in the bigger story that he wins the day. Wherever you find yourself, this morning, we're going to provide a moment for you just to reflect, just to sit in that and say, God, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on your side. I want my life to be dedicated to following you. I'm not going to try to manipulate circumstances to get you to do what I want you to do. I want to surrender to you. Would you pray with me?
God, we love you. We have no comprehension of how big, how powerful you are, but we, we get glimpses. We get glimpses from your word. We get gl- glimpses from stories. We get glimpses in our own life as you put pieces together, as you lead us and guide us. And forgive us for being dumb humans so much of the time that forget your faithfulness or that try to manipulate you in some way. Would you meet with us now? Would you speak to us now, God? In the midst of some of us in deep pain and wondering why, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow this suffering and defeat? Would you give us peace? And others of us that you're convicting and saying, you know, God, we, we want to surrender this area of our life to you, that we have done our own thing, that we, we admit, we confess that in some ways that you have been an afterthought. Speak to us, give us hope, give us new focus, new passion for following after you.